Hello, this is the house on Valencia Street, and I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics of conversation will include ghosts and the paranormal and psychic ability. We also discuss things we've actually experienced, and I'm an incest and rape survivor, and I sometimes discuss that here. Other topics that will be discussed here are domestic violence, murder, femicide, suicide, foster care, emancipation, creativity, art, recovery, uh, therapy, uh, kink, BDSM, LGBTQIA, agnosticism, atheism, Christianity, Buddhism, service work, uh, living nonviolently, and you can be into kink and BDSM and also live a nonviolent lifestyle, believe it or not. Uh, there are options. Yes. Yeah. So some of these topics might be triggering for you. Use your discernment. You need to make a decision about whether or not you're open to listening to some of these topics, which might be a little triggering for you. The concept here is to talk about a haunted house that I spent several years growing up in. That was on Valencia Street in Walla Walla, Washington. I uh, shared that with my mama, Darlene, a few different ghosts, a couple different spirits and entities that through meditation or prayer, I've learned a bit more about the past month or two, potentially, um, which maybe we'll get to in this episode here. Mama survived really out, my mama, Darlene, she survived overwhelming odds. And a lot of that was a lot of violence being done against women. And then the two men in my family, my uncles that were in the military, they did just fine. They bought houses and they had vacations and they weren't raped in the military. See, so that's four people in my family that were in the military. And depending on their gender, their experience was very different. So I, I talk about some of that here in this podcast, mostly because this is one person's survival. I survived and, you know, I've had 10 years of therapy and done a bunch of service work, 20, 30 years here, 20, 30 years there, you know, with people who are surviving stuff that I live through, right? Why am I doing this? Because I got to remember Tony, who was a foster sister of mine, who worked at the cashier register and she told me what her stepdad did to her. She was one of my foster sisters. Or I got to remember Glenda, and she told me what her stepdad did to her when he tied her down to a chair when she was a kid, before we were foster sisters. She worked at the grocery store, too. Did you know a lot of times people who are in these domestic violence situations, in my experience, will end up working at places like the grocery store because you can get by with a GED or a high school diploma. You could get food on the table and just barely get a place to live. That's where these two foster kids ended up. Although by the time we were 30, they were dead. And it wasn't because it wasn't because they did anything wrong. It was because a lot of people were just fine with what they were doing to us. And when we talk about it, they drag us through the mud so the people in privilege could keep doing what they was doing. So here we talk about it. And we recover and we take up equal space at the house on Valencia Street. We also acknowledge that there's a lot of shit out there that we don't know about. Um, I'm really grateful to share this space with my ancestors. Uh, the big one is Darlene the big mother, <laughs> as she was wont to say, big mama, a big mother, that would be Darlene. <laughs> and she was spry as hell. They called her Speedo. Although uh, she had a lot of ways of talking that cracked me the hell up. And well, thank God, because I cracked her the hell up and it helped us survive what we had to survive to get out of Walla Walla. Uh, also, the Department of Justice has recognized me as a crime victim and given me a crime victim number because they recognize what was done to me was illegal and wrong. Okay, so guess what? Today um, I get to acknowledge that happens and I, I get to be in a good mood. 
and and be alive and acknowledge everything that exists not because i'm laughing because of it but because how about the survivor gets to dis- dictate the tone of how they share their experience yeah I, everybody else who lived through stuff and had the privilege of not living through it okay uh, there's a lot of different uh, comedians and well a lot of comedians tend to be trauma survivors because it makes good comedy i mean you want to be have good comedic timing have your life or death be dependent on you being funny and then you'll get real good comedic timing, but there might be a bit of tension to the, the humor, see? So <laughs> we talk about it here, okay? So there, there's the breaks. That's the breaks, kids. There you go. Here, Come on in, have a seat. Otherwise, there's a door. See ya. Okay, what's next? Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm sending... I, 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 get, I get the feeling I'm sending mixed signals to the universe, you think? Hmm, could be. Okay, let's get the preamble out of the way. What else we got? Hey, there's a website you can visit. It's called anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, M-O-H-M-A-H. You can go download all the podcasts there. There's notes there. You could donate too. That would be fantastic. I'd really appreciate that. And the whole damn point for this whole thing or the whole blessed point is to talk about my ancestors, give them some breathing room once a week, and also talk about the fact that my grandma was psychic and she told me not to be ashamed about it. And my mama was psychic too, but she she had a different way of expressing it. She wouldn't be arrogant enough to... Well, she had a different way of being intuitive, I guess, although she was plenty intuitive in my perspective. Okay, let's see. Hey, if mental health stuff's kicking up for you, please get yourself to a licensed therapist, someone who's board certified. Uh, talk to a couple of them if you can. And if you don't have the money for that right now, there's a couple 1-800 numbers in my uh, notes. You can give them a call. Sometimes you need a voice late at night. Um, and there's a suicide prevention hotline and a domestic violence or a sexual assault 800 line that you can call. And there's people staffed there to help you get into resources. You may have mixed results with that. That being the case, sometimes you just need a human being to talk to in the middle of the night when you've got a flashback from what was done to you, right? So so those are some options and uh, you, you deserve that. Uh, you deserve to be present and heard and listened to. Anything else going on? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Let's get into the doorway here. Okay, we're into the house. Here we are. We did the preamble. We got it through. Um, there's a couple of topics to talk about. Um, we'll be discussing the concept of the seesaw that's coming up in a little bit here. Although I've been pretty touched by someone passing recently and I thought I'd mention it. Uh, he was a role model for me before I was out of foster care and emancipation. And he was an example of weird humor like my family had and my mama had that was a little too wacky and, and cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but uh, somehow they marketed it and it was really successful. Um, Paul Rubens is a comedian who created the character of Pee Wee Herman. Uh, and he created Pee Wee's Playhouse and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And, and uh, that was a very commercially successful film, Pee Wee's Playhouse or Pee Wee's Big Adventure was a pretty big and successful movie. And I think there's a lot of images from that movie that are still kind of burned into my head that were like really wacky, uh, mid-century modern kind of aesthetic with a uh, kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs combo there were so many sight gags in that show and he's one of those uh, strange prop comedy guys like joel hodgson who created mystery science theater 3000 they're these two kind of emotionally young men that are kind of vulnerable and creative and playful yet they have they're mostly in there they relate better to their props many times than they do their audience but that being the case there's something brilliant going on there 
Yeah, that's Paul Rubens in my perspective. Now, um, I'm going to acknowledge that Paul Rubens was arrested in 1991 for masturbating in a movie theater watching pornography. Uh, and my understanding is that this was a theater that played porn and it was a consenting location to go do that. And that they sold tickets knowing that they were showing porn, that people may be doing that in this location. So I never really, I don't know. I, it was kind of shocking when it came out that he was arrested for that. Yet if consenting people are involved and it's a legal action and no one, you know, if he was exposing himself to strangers, that would be different, but he was consenting as an adult going and doing that. And maybe he's a single guy. Okay. You know, whatever. I'm not going to justify whatever that might be yet. It impacted his career. He also still was able to have a career after that, although he's a sexual being and he was autonomous. So why not? You know, I mean, I sit there and go, why was it such a big deal that he did this thing? Because there's so many people that have been arrested for drunken driving and sexual assault and all that type of thing. Maybe they've got better PR reps. I'm not quite sure. Paul Rubens was a real comedic genius in a lot of ways. And I've heard from, I've heard really touching stories from Conan O'Brien this past week talking about how Paul Rubens was a good friend of his and would come to their Christmas party at their house. Conan O'Brien had Paul Rubens over for Christmas parties. Okay. And in 2021, 2022, Paul Rubens came over for a Christmas party at Conan O'Brien's house and brought over 15 individually wrapped presents. And so Conan O'Brien was talking this last week about how they still had a couple of presents that were not unwrapped and he couldn't bring himself to unwrap the presents. And he started crying because he said Paul was so thoughtful about birthdays. And actually I've heard from at least half a dozen different famous people talking about Paul Rubens remembering birthdays. That was his thing. I want to pause for a second. One indicator when it comes to autistic spectrum and Asperger's is a fixation with numbers and a fixation with dates. Okay. My best friend, I had a good close friend about eight or nine years who is diagnosed autistic and on disability for autism. Although he likes to read Tolstoy and he likes to read poetry and he's brilliant yet can't remember to tie his shoelaces, you know, kind of that combination. He remembered fastidiously uh, birthdays and he would always remember my birthday. That was very important to him. Uh, and I would have to say of any friends in the past 20 years that celebrated my birthday, my autistic buddy who was diagnosed with autism celebrated at the strongest and the hardest. <laughs> So I find it interesting that Paul Rubens, who was this amazing comedic genius, I think he had a little Asperger's autistic spectrum symptomology, potentially. I can't diagnose. I don't have the degree, the certification for that. Yet he did similar behaviors that my close friends that were autistic also did. Also working in software and IT, uh, you want to deal with people that have uh, <laughs> socialization issues or uh, communication issues. IT is the place to be. <laughs> You want to you want a land full of Asperger's and autistic spectrum uh, people who have the same color skin and the same gender. Well, lo and behold, uh, information technology is the industry for you. Anyway, but getting back to Paul Rubens, um, I want to honor his soul right now because he was a complex human being who is mostly autonomous. He was straight. He was a gay icon, yet he was a straight person. Okay. He, uh, well, all indications are that he was straight. I'm bisexual. So of course, if he's going to be in our team, I'm going to claim him, you know, uh, but he was an autonomous guy jerking off in a mountain. Okay. I apologize. Okay. So, um, I think that the arrest that was happened was a small incidental thing that tanked his career, yet he was able to morph and kind of change and do some production work. Uh, I'd like to give an example pretty much from a horse's mouth. This is from Jack 
This is Jack White from the White Stripes, famous musician. Uh, this is a post that he recently made about Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, just this past week. The great Paul Rubens has moved on to a better place. Creator of the genius character Pee Wee Herman and an actor and a comedian with incredible talent. Paul was a good friend to me and reached out anytime he felt I was in need. A generous soul who never forgot a birthday or a Christmas card for those he loved. He had incredible taste in music and was very funny in everyday life. I first got to witness his gift with filming a video for the Rock on Tours together, and we became friends instantly. I was just thinking about you last night, Paul. Peace be with you. Jack White the Third. Now Jack White is a friend of Conan O'Brien, and... Uh, they have amazing chemistry if you ever see them on, on interact together because they're both big, tall, kind of goofy white guys that are very talented and charismatic, right? So, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about Conan O'Brien having a Christmas party with his wife who didn't even know who Conan O'Brien was when she met him. She was uh, working in um, PR work uh, and she was like in some Midwestern location. He was on location when they met and so he's had this wife. He's pretty amazing talent herself. I'm just thinking about Paul Rubens wrapping up 15 individual little boxes and Conan O'Brien tearfully talking about it this week. Remembering that there's a couple little boxes that he just can't bring himself to unwrap because it's the last gift that Paul gave him, you know? So Paul Rubens, thank you for being a weird, freaky fucking weirdo. Uh, thank you for being funny and smart in a wacky way that my brain could process that my mama could process that, um, just being an inspiration for being a very strange and unusual guy, just like Joel Hodgson's with, you know, MST3K, <laughs> you're doing one of a kind of thing. And yet there's a vulnerability and a sweetness that was available there. I'll also acknowledge I owned Pee Wee Playhouse's entire collection on VHS. And I remember selling that at a time of need about 15, 20 years ago. I never watched it anymore, but I remembered a lot of Pee Wee's Playhouse, but I bought the entire set, um, being a completist and all. And towards the end of the series, there were some really kind of sexist jokes that he made. One of them being with a barbell where his female counterpart on the series, Pee Wee's Playhouse, was lifting the barbells. And he made the barbell have two big breast size dents for because she had a lot of she was top heavy i guess apparently and so she was lifting weights but the barbell had two big bends in it for breasts and it was just really garish and immature and i was at that point where i was kind of like going you know peewee herman i really love you in a lot of ways but when it comes to your gender humor stuff not so much so i remember when i sold that set of peewee herman's playhouse part of it was I've outgrown you. I've outgrown this humor. And, you know, granted, this is in the 80s and 90s. So this is 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? So whatever he is, there's a lot of famous people. Natasha Lyonne. Uh, Natasha Lyonne got her start on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Okay. Orange is the New Black talent. Natasha Lyonne. She got her start on Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. She's posting about him talking about how what a wonderful guy he was. There's all these famous people coming out of the woodwork going, Paul Rubens was an amazing friend. And I need everybody to know that, you know, so thank you, Paul Rubens, for being an amazing example of friendship. And I can tell how amazing you are by the friends that are coming out and talking about you. They're not the people that are, hey, splashy, splashy, look at who I know. They're the people that are quietly, humbly coming up to the microphone going, this guy was amazing, you know. And that's a legacy I'd love to have. You know, just kind of like George Michael, when he died, 
of Wham, George Michael, when he died, all these people came out of the woodwork talking about the millions and millions of dollars he gave to charity anonymously because he didn't want people knowing. You know, which that is so stunning to me. People using their privilege as a gender, race, and socioeconomics, using that to help others and doing it without needing the ego gratification. Gold star, baby. Gold star. So anyway, Paul Rubens, thinking about you this week. Okay. Thank you for your example. Next up. This is a hard one. (laughs) Lizzo. Darling Lizzo. Uh, so I guess we're kind of skating into uh, the section called the fallen ones where I talk about people who I greatly admire who once I learn more about other situations it makes it hard to kind of figure out what to do with their art right so in the last couple weeks uh, three different backup dancers of Lizzo have brought together a lawsuit stating that they felt sexually harassed by Lizzo and there were some sex things in Amsterdam going on at a banana coffee place, etc. And uh, there's a lot of, they're talking about some examples of that. One of the uh, set designers or the choreograph designers for Lizzo's came coming out in support of the dancers. Uh, there's stories of uh, them being forced to dance 12 hours straight, not being a, a allowed to go to use the bathroom and then soiling themselves because they couldn't break out of the uh, dance training. So, uh, Lizzo, Lizzo, who in 2019, I walked over a million steps and half of that was listening to Lizzo. Okay. Lizzo, body positivity. Lizzo is a human being. Okay. And, um, so apparently there's some flaws here. I'm going to pause. Here's my thoughts on the situation as it stands now. First things first. Hi, I'm a dancer. I want to be a professional dancer. I noticed that Prince has a show going and Prince has songs where he talks about public masturbation, uh, lots of gender bias stuff, etc. Although, hey, um, I'm going to be looking for a backup dancer job and there's this job at Juilliard or there's this job working for Prince. Now, I got to make it, I got to use my discernment. You know, maybe if I'm 19, 20, 21 years old, I'm going to be naive and young. Yet, if I'm going to sit there and go, I wonder what kind of environment it's going to be like to work for Prince as opposed to working at Juilliard. You know, am I going to have more sexualization going on in the Prince environment or in the Juilliard environment? Now, granted, maybe both of them are equal, equally as toxic or beautiful. It's hard to say. Although, caveat emptor, as they say, you know, I, the Latin phrase. So you, you assume some level of responsibility knowing that you got to be willfully educated enough to go. If if I'm going to be a backup dancer for a rock star who has several uh, Grammys and has, does performances at the Grammys with three story inflatable asses that have a thong right up the back of it. And it's a big, butt. it's a big fat ass, butt. how there's a bunch of people bouncing up and down, talking about sex and oral sex, all kinds of things. I would anticipate that's going to be a highly sexualized environment. Further, if my manager says, we're going to fly you over to Amsterdam and we're going to go to the red light district in Amsterdam and there's a banana shop where they do sexual things with bananas that I'm going to. And, uh, you know, it's now the show's over. You need to come out with me and go to the show. Um, I know that I'm going to be in a sexualized environment. Right. So now, granted, this is not I'm not doing the case of what was she wearing before, you know, she was raped type of thing. That's the whole thing of blaming somebody. You don't want to blame nobody. Nobody should have to go to a sex show if they don't want to for a job. 
Okay, no one should have to eat a banana out of a person's genitals uh, or touch that because it's part of their job if they don't want to, right? We also live in a world, though, where sex-trafficked people live, and it's heavily gendered, and culturally, we blame the victim, and culturally, the people that pay the price are like the Gilgo Beach murder victims, where everybody was just fine with the uh, privilege this guy had and the lack of privilege that these women had, and they ended up murdered, and everybody just kind of sat by while it was going on, and then they're like really shocked when it happens, like, we're all culpable. I guess that's getting back to why I started this podcast, right? Liz has gone from a situation in which, you know, I grew and I grew and I grew and this person became very significant to me. I think for a lot of people, uh, she filled a void that a lot of people felt when it came to validation. And also, you're culpable because of what you're projecting and transferring. She's just an entertainer. She's an entertainer who do things like, she had a song, was it Tempo? Yeah, I think Tempo was a big song. She had the phrase spaz in there, how she was acting like a spaz. Okay. Well, people who've got neurological issue or disorder contacted her and said, you know, I've got Parkinson's. I've got these other things. Uh, people make fun of me because I twitch or I've got Tourette's. When you say spaz, that's a criticism of people who've got neurodivergence or have got disorders. You know, what did, what did Lizzo do? She removed the word spaz from that song and re-released re that song. Okay, that's someone with empathy. That's someone going, that's a good point, and I will adjust and adapt with further information. Okay, that's an example of someone saying, I might have been wrong, and I can adapt, and here's why. That's a mature, considerate person. Okay, there's not a lot of people in media that are willing to change their song and put it out with a, a modification because their phrase might have been uh, an insult that was uh, based on something something couldn't control, right? When it comes to the seesaw principle, when it comes to Lizzo, I'm kind of evaluating it. I'm still kind of in the middle. Right now, I've gotten so much positive, but I can't listen to her music right now because I'm thinking of these poor women who are forced to do things they were uncomfortable with. One of the dancers at the banana show, and I'm going to pause. A reasonable person understands that if you're hired by a person who's a professional dancer who discusses sex and masturbation a lot in her music and they fly you to Amsterdam and they say they're going to the red light district, a reasonable person understands they're going to be in a situation where they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of sexuality around. Okay, so I understand with my discernment that I might not put myself in that position or that it might also be part of the price you pay. For example, did you know that Joan Rivers had talked about the fact that Johnny Carson made him made her have sex with him, that she performed oral sex with Johnny Carson. They talked about the casting couch and the fact that the only reason, one of the few reasons she was on the show was that she had to have sexual relations with Johnny Carson. There were several people who were on Johnny Carson's show that talked about the fact that he had a casting couch. He had a definite casting couch. And a lot of the women that were on there, you know, think about that. You're going to have to have sex with someone to be on the show. This is just going to make or break your career. Okay. I got some feelings on that. Anyway, I don't think that's right. So, um, Getting back to this Lizzo thing, I just got to wait to see what's going on. And I, I think I want to listen to everybody. And I've been listening to several interviews of these uh, dancers, and they seem somewhat credible. And regardless of what I think, they were uncomfortable, okay? And you got to use your discernment and say, what is your culpability? Because I, I don't think that's a black or white. 
I think the F's sit there go, what reasonable person would understand if you were a backup singer for this particular person who sings these things and acts these things out and is going to fly you to Amsterdam and talks about the red light district and has talked about that Bananarama Cafe. She talked about that Bananarama Cafe in two or three of her interviews. Okay. Caveat emptor. You're going to have to be a reasonable person to understand that's part of the gig. And that being the case, no, she said no. She said she said no 20, 30. She said she said no repeatedly. Okay. That's wrong. Uh, it's wrong that she should not be forced to do anything she doesn't want to do, right? So anyway, so I'm kind of, I want to see this organically progress and kind of see what happens next. Okay. So um, I'm very sad and I'm acknowledging that I'm sad and that I still, my heart breaks a little bit regarding the Lizzo thing. And back to the seesaw principle, I guess I'll round out with this. I was single for a couple years because I'd gone through a relationship and the person wasn't necessarily honest with me. And I realized that given my background, I've been told to tolerate people who lie and are deceitful and aren't honest. And I'm a bit gullible. Sometimes people who come from traumatic families or families of origin, they don't have the best compass for choosing people of good character, okay, because we're, we were manipulated for a lot of that time and told to not listen to our own, trust our own instinct. Well, I was single for a couple of years and then I had a friend who I met through dance and it was really athletic dance, modern uh, contact stuff. And uh, we were friends for a long time and there were 20 years between us. And so I never thought we were ever going to be involved. And I wasn't attracted to him, you know, because of the age difference and the maturity level. And I, we really had to work hard to communicate. He was, uh, there was hearing impairment and stuff. And so I had to really, I learned a lot about communicating. Uh, that was part of that relationship with him. But there was a year where I was like, I'd never, I'm not, I'm not attracted to you. I remember saying this to him. I'm not attracted to you. It's never going to happen. And then a year later, he'd gained some weight. He got some facial hair. He grew his hair out. He made some different choices. We started doing some dance work. It was, it was like, and then it changed over that seesaw switched. And so it went from being 40, 45% no, you know, or, you know, and then 45% no. And then it kind of went to, how do I say this? I'll say this a different way. It went from being no way to being, well, it's nice to being like, I could maybe on the right day do that to like, he kind of switched over the seesaw slightly tilted over a couple of years. And then it tilted over to 52, 53%. And then I was like, well, maybe. And then he forced the issue after a year, he grabbed me and he kissed me and I kissed him back. And it was, you know, it, there was enough indicators that what he did was, would have been acceptable. It wasn't that he was just out of the blue doing that, but so he moved over in that seesaw, right? So that can happen sometimes when you're evaluating this, people change, you know, and it can be disappointing. So things will shift and change. And then something that you wouldn't have considered suddenly it's like, well, maybe it could work. <laughs> I think sometimes things shift the other way too. And, um, I grieve Michael Jackson's music and I grieve Kevin Spacey's work and Prince, you know, trying to enjoy, trying to be fully informed about who these people are, how they treat human beings and what it costs to create that art, especially for the people not pictured or especially for the people that you're not hearing from. It's important to me to think about that. Right. You know, and, um, so we are contemplating Lizzo and the fallen ones today, and I have not discerned or made up my mind. Um, but, um, 
my heart is heavy. And I think it's organic. And I personally, if I was going to bet on anybody, I would bet on Lizzo because I've seen Lizzo have it be confronted about stuff. And because she's sensitive enough, she took the word spaz out of that famous song while it was a famous song. It was a number one hit. She edited it and re-put it out. And said that I think that they had a valid concern. And so I changed it. That's a conscious person with empathy. All kinds of famous people to consider today here at the house. Um, I still haven't gotten back to the um, the discovery I had with the house on Valencia Street when I was meditating and praying and went back to that place. There were two places in the basement that had really strong resonance that I would just, they were like radioactive. And um, I was able to discern the three different spirits or souls in the basement this last um the last month or two of doing work the thing is the energy is really charged there and when i'm checking in on this and trying to evaluate it energetically with my remote viewing and my psychic ability the entity that put those spirits there is there too you know the 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 bad the scary guy in the attic that i talked about that my sister rachel sophia and i saw is still there well it was there when we were there i don't know if it's still there there's a family there now but um well, a physical family uh, living there. Um, yet I got a little more information about the spirits in the basement. When I can process talking about it, we'll get to it in the upcoming episodes, most likely. Although uh, I'm really uncomfortable because it's, um, they were very young, very young spirits. And they were, they sensed me. There was a sense of like, we sensed you, you know, because I really keyed in on it I, I felt something and I was like what is that and then it was like there, there it is and then I sensed the other the spirit that I've discussed and the, the the ghost that my sister and I had seen at different times in that house um I sensed it being aware that I was checking it out and that I had to withdraw because it was like there's some bad mojo at that place you know what I mean so <laughs> anyway um we can come back to that uh we coming up to that although um it's going to take me an hour to edit this as it is. So let's get this down and get this documented and say a grace to Paul Rubens and get a little bit of heartbreak for Lizzo and we'll see how things wash out next week. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll learn more information. Yeah. I'm willing to adjust and adapt with new information. So it depends on sometimes how the seesaw leans. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for coming to the house on Valencia street today where we talk about many things and um, leave plenty of room for ancestors to talk. And uh, thank God for wacky, kooky ancestors like Darlene because gave me the eyeballs to see Paul Rubens and Pee Wee Herman and go, that's something I want a piece of that. Uh, there's something funny there. Please understand you're not alone and you're never going to be alone at the house on Valencia Street. Sometimes it's whether you like it or not. <laughs>